you are stealing? قَالَ لَا He said, no. وَالَّذِي لَا إِلَهَ غَيْرُهُ I swear by the one who is the only God worthy of worship. مَا سَرَقْتُ I have not stolen. So he swore by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So Isa alayhi said, صَدَقَ اللَّهُ وَكَذَبَتْ عَيْنِي He said, if you're swearing by Allah, Allah is the one who speaks the truth. كَذَبَتْ عَيْنِي Perhaps my eyes have lied. Or in other words, maybe I have been mistaken what I saw. So in this hadith we see that when a person made the statement by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, took the name of Allah, uh, then he took his words and he said, perhaps I am mistaken in what I am seeing. Instead of saying that you can be swearing by Allah incorrectly. So this is one of the rulings that we have that there are many times on a particular action that we might see with our eyes there may have different interpretations maybe if there is a store for example a person is going who does not own the store and he's grabbing something and walking out with it circumstantial evidence indicates look he, he just went into the store picked something and taking it and walking out I didn't see him go and pay for it but uh, upon being apprehended if he if he takes an oath and he says you know and you are not the store owner nor are you the police you're just a random person then we have we are not in a position even though the outward circumstances are quite um, compelling perhaps in indicating this person was stealing but if he takes an oath by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then we will take his word how would it be possible is it even remote is it even uh, possible that this is not a theft yes how how could it be possible perhaps he had a deal with the one who owns the store that I will pay you later or he had gotten permission from him or he had owed him money and he said okay you can go take this thing instead of the money um, or somebody else paid for it so there's so many different options that are there one of the rulings we have in our deen is that we have uh, as Sayyidina Umar radiallahu anhu said nahkumu ala zawahir wa sara'iruhum ilallah we always pass our rulings on the, the apparent conditions and the secret affairs of their hearts we leave that to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We let Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala judge based on the reality of what is intention in their hearts. Sometimes the outward conditions are very, very strongly indicative of a certain position, but we still are commanded to ignore that. One extreme example of this that comes to mind from the Quran is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, لا تقولوا لمن ألقى إليكم السلام لست مؤمنا. The one who extends forth a salam to you, then never say to him لست مؤمنا. You are not a mu'min. You are not a Muslim. تبتغون عرض الحياة الدنيا. You are seeking the worldly gain. فعند الله مغانم كثيرة. Allah سبحانه وتعالى He has kept a lot of reward. Why are you going after his worldly reward? What is the ayah? Context of this ayah is that there was an active battle. One of the mushrikeen who was very actively 
attacking the Muslims and whoever was coming down in front of him, he was cutting him down. He was killing many Muslims, hurting many Muslims. Finally, one Sahabi, he pinned him down, got him. The most valuable fighter on the opposite side. And when he was about to finish him off, then he said, you know, Assalamu alaikum, leave me. I'm Muslim. So he said, you know, this is obviously an escape tactic. You're just trying to get away. And he went ahead and he finished him. So this ayah was revealed. Look, لا تقولوا لمن ألقى إليكم السلام Don't say to someone who says salamu alaykum to you, لست مؤمنا, you're not a mu'min. And Allah Ta'ala says, كذلك كنتم من قبل Likewise, you were a mushrik once upon a time, not too long ago. فمن الله عليكم So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has done his ihsan upon you and he guided you to Islam. How are you in a position to say someone else is not a Muslim? So we have to take their statement at face value. Now beyond that, do we have to, um, you know, doesn't mean that we have to believe he is the most sincere Muslim and highest level of Muslim that uh, someone who has knowledge of the deen that we will acquire guidance from or, you know, um, accept their opinions about matters and hold them in the highest level of trust or anything of that nature. But we are not mandated to do that either. All it means is that we, rec- we just say, okay, fine, you're a Muslim. Nothing beyond that. Like, when it comes to um, performing a marriage, not necessarily marrying yourself. When it comes to marrying yourself, you have to ensure that the person you're marrying is a good Muslim as possible. Nabi sallallahu alayhi wasallam said, li arba'in. A woman is married, typically due to four reasons. Limaliha, for her wealth, wa jamaliha, beauty, wa hasabiha, family, wa diniha, and her deen. It's a well known hadith. Fadfar deen. So be successful by marrying the woman who has deen. Taribat yadak. Otherwise, uh, you will be facing destruction. So, deen is mentioned here. We should try to look for the one who has the highest level of deen. Not any random person who says, I have deen. If there's a uh, Muslim or Muslimah, who just says, oh yeah, I'm a Muslim, but outwardly don't, they don't seem like a Muslim, they don't display traits of Islamic behavior or have any, much knowledge of Islam, then uh, we do not necessarily consider such a person as an ideal marriage candidate. That's with respect to ourselves. With respect to other people, for if someone is an imam of a masjid and um, there's a Muslim girl from a Muslim family, and if there's a man um, who, who says that he has accepted Islam or he asks you to give him shahada so can you say that no your shahada is insincere and I cannot perform this marriage the reason I give the example of the male being the one here as the convert or the alleged convert depending on his intention is because if the girl is a Muslimah or perhaps a Christian or a Yehudi or a Nasarani or a Yehudi, one of the Ahlul Kitab, there may be some scope for her nikah being permissible. But if the man is not a Muslim, then there's no way the nikah is permissible at all. It wouldn't be a nikah. So there are two different things here. One is taking the shahada and accepting Islam, and one is performing the nikah itself. They do not have to be at the same time. In fact, 
the shahada is for the sake of Allah, for salvation, to be able to enter into Jannah. And the nikah is a worldly activity which has a component of ibadah, but is independent of the shahada. So a person, as soon as he finds Allah, understands the deen of Allah, Allah guides him to the deen of Islam through hidayah, they should take the shahada to accept Islam. We should not delay it, right? Like if somebody comes to take shahada, if possible, we should give them the shahada, what, before the prayer, not after the prayer, so they could pray the first salah in jama'ah. And the Islam and the shahada will only be accepted if a person actually believes. It's not something that is just a testification with the tongue. Because there are three parts to the, to the shahada. One is the iqrar bil lisan, testifying with the tongue. Tasdiq bil janan, believing from the heart. And amal bil arkan, acting with the body parts. Iqrar bil lisan, testifying with the tongue. If you go back to the iman, kalima of iman, iman mujmal, iman mufassal, we learn as children. Amantu billahi, I believe in Allah, kama huwa, the way he is. With all his beautiful names and attributes. And I accepted all of his rulings. I believe in Allah and his angels. Books and prophets. And the taqdeer, good and bad, both are from Allah and in resurrection after death. Testifying to the truth of the above with our tongue and believing from the heart. So if somebody testifies with their tongue but does not believe in their heart, this is not iman, this is the actual definition of nifaq. This is reality of hypocrisy. What is, what is nifaq hypocrisy? إِذَا جَاءَكَ الْمُنَافِقُونَ قَالُوا نَشْهَدُ إِنَّكَ لَرَسُولُ اللَّهِ the, Allah Ta'ala says in the opening ayat of Surah Al-Munafiqun When the hypocrites they come to you they say Nashhadu, we testify Annaka Rasulullah, you are the messenger of Allah Wallahu ya'alamu innaka la rasuluhu And Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Ta'ala knows for sure you are his Rasul Wallahu yashhadu inna al-munafiqina la kathibun But Allah is testifying that the hypocrites, they are liars That's really strange the munafiqun, they come, they say, Nashhadu annaka Rasulullah. We testify, you are the messenger of Allah. And Allah Ta'ala says, I know you are my messenger, but I am testifying that they are lying. How are they lying? If they just said, if the munafiqun came and said, you are Rasulullah, and Allah says, yes, you are my Rasul, then Allah would not say they are lying. Because they, all they said is, you are Rasulullah. You are the messenger of Allah. But they are lying as Allah says, it's because they didn't just say, Inna Rasulullah, you are the messenger of Allah. They said, Nashadu, we are testifying that we believe you are the messenger of Allah. So Allah Ta'ala is saying, they're lying. They're lying in which part? Not the fact that Muhammad is a Rasul of Allah. They're lying from the, on the fact that they are claiming they believe in that. Whereas they do not believe. Is that clear? So, some, we may take a moment to understand this one. If, if they came and said that, um, we believe, you are messenger of Allah, then their statement is true. If they say, we believe you are messenger of Allah, their statement is false. Is that clear perhaps? We believe you are Rasul of Allah. No, you're lying. You're lying in which part? The fact that you believe, you don't believe. So when they, when they say, oh, so, if so if somebody makes iqrar bil lisan, testifies with the tongue, does not believe, that is nifaq. And the nikah with an munafiq is not permissible because nifaq is a type of kufr.
Nifaq is a type of kufr. Kufr, uh, if a person doesn't believe inside and he, and he and says, I don't believe with the tongue, that's the normal kufr. If a person doesn't believe in his heart but he says with his tongue he believes, that's the nifaq form of kufr. And the nifaq form of kufr is worse than the normal kufr. The kufr of inad, one person, or kufr of juhud. Because Allah Ta'ala says, إِنَّ مُرَافِقِينَ فِي الدَّرْكِ الْأَسْفَلِ مِنَ النَّارِ Verily the hypocrites will be in the lowest level of the fire. Just like in Jannah we have darajat, and Jahannam we have darakat. So each daraka is lower and more severe than the one that precedes it. So the dark al-asfal, the lowest level of Jahannam is for the munafiqun, which is lower than the mushrikun. Lower than even the mushrikun. So if a, if a person accepts Islam, for it to count, it has, he has to believe from his heart. And also, it, the niyyah must be for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. If the niyyah is for marriage, then, then it will not count. So if a person says, I take the shahada for the sake of the father of the bride, or father of the girlfriend, billah, then what's the status of that nikah? What's the status of that shahada? Doesn't count. If the shahada doesn't count, the nikah doesn't count. And accepting Islam for the sake of marriage is such a concept which was specifically mentioned in, in the hadith as we covered for several weeks in the first hadith of Bukhari. <laughs> Verily actions are based upon intentions. Taking shahada is an action. <laughs> Everyone will receive the reward or the punishment or the whatever compensation they deserve if they are earned based on their actions. Whoever accepts Islam, whoever makes hijrah for the sake of Allah and the Rasul, he will receive the reward for the sake of Allah and the Rasul. And whoever accepts Islam, whoever migrates uh, for acquiring dunya, you have to be a Muslim to get the job. It used to be for entering Madinah Manawara. It used to be for Makkah. But now, now non-Muslims are working there too. But if there is a, a, a job in maybe a masjid where they say that you have to be a Muslim to work. So a person, he accepts Islam or apparently takes the shahada or he, um, his actual job is with a spy agency, the CIA, FBI, whatever, he's being sent. So he apparently takes the shahada for his job to marry a woman which we were talking about then his hijrah does not count it will go for that which he is intending in the time of Nabi Wasallam, the background of this was Umm Sulaim anha, was a woman who accepted Islam and she made hijrah to Madinah Munawwara there was a man who was very very interested in marrying her these are not stories of the youth of today from the time of Nabi Wasallam. And then she said, okay, if you want to marry me, my condition is not so much mahar, and so much gold and silver, and so much this and that. But rather, my condition is that you have to accept Islam and make hijrah to Medina for me to marry you. So this is the one who made hijrah. His name is, is hidden, and he's known in the history and in the tariq as the muhajiru Umm Salim. The one who did hijrah for the sake of Umm Salim. Why is the name hidden? It's because afterwards, there, this is a very bad beginning. His Islam may not count. But there's something very 
beautiful in our deen, very magical powers. It can erase the past. And it can change one's destiny. And what is that? Tawbah. So if you can always make Tawbah and backdate it and backtrack and change the niyyah. So he, he eventually made his pure niyyah for his Islam and Allah Ta'ala accepted him, accepted his iman, accepted his Islam. So if a person comes and he says that, um, give me the shahada and then you know, we'll do the nikah. This is like a hybrid, two functions in one. Shahada. Just like there was recently, I saw, uh, there was a card that said Shalima. I said, what is this? I, th- I thought, literally, I'm so jahil. <laughs> I thought it was a typo. It was a printed card. Then I found out that this is when the woman's side and the men's side, they are sharing the expenses. So it's the Shadi and the Walima together. Shalima. Do you, or, you, you never heard of this one? Okay, so I'm not the only jahil. We can all be jahil together. So, uh, I, I, so I, I wasn't aware of this. First of all, in, this, in our deen, there's only a walima for the record. There's no shadi. Then you take the shadi and just, you know, there's a, there's a Tesla electric vehicle, and then there's a gas combustion engine, and then you have the hybrid engine, right? When you're braking, it's powering the battery. So you have the combustion engine there, you have the battery as well, and it's a hybrid. So it's like this. You have the shadi one side, the wedding reception from the girl's bride side, and you have the walima from the groom's side, and you combine the two, and you call it shalima. So there is no such shalima. For the simple reason, there is no shadi. It's only supposed to be what? Walima. The best case scenario, best case scenario for a shadi is that it may be permissible. But it definitely is not sunnah. Others say that it is prohibited. Others say that it's like haram almost, like severely sinful. The reason the fatwa changes based on the circumstances, the conditions. So if you have an environment, a culture, because if you look the fatwa literature, you might find different fatwa. And you'll say, how is it? Some are saying it's makrut hanimi, some are saying it's near haram, some are saying makrut anzihi, some are saying, okay, it's mabah, permissible. It's based on the conditions. Why would the conditions affect the ruling? Because if you have a culture where there is absolutely undue hardship, non-justified financial burden on the, on the bright side, where they are mandated by the culture that they have to buy so many things in the jahaz for the, jahaz for the, for the groom, they have to buy cars and motorcycles and fridges and furniture and fulan and fulan. They add all these demands. Then they have to give cash, jawaraki raqam, for so much for the groom side. They have to do so many expenditures. You're putting the burden upon the bride side. And um, it gets so extreme, so extreme that a person will become bankrupt. He has to uh, refinance his house and he has to, the entire family has to put their money together. And he has to take so many crippling debts the father of the bride and it's such a financial burden that people are uh, going and getting the ultrasound done and if it's a female they are uh, literally killing the unborn girl aborting the fetus if he gets that extreme then what is the mufti going to say he's going to say to be, that at this point it's literally haram for the bride side to do this because it wasn't sunnah to begin with they were only asked by the deen that they are giving their daughter in marriage. The financial burden is 100% on the groom side. 
when it comes to who is paying the mahar, he is supposed to pay the mahar. So there's no concept of mahar here, it's the other way around. And uh, after that, the entire life, the financial responsibilities on the male, on the husband, not on the female. الرجال قوامون على النساء بما فضل الله بعضهم على بعض وبما أنفقوا من أموالهم. That the men, Allah has made them the caretakers, responsible party of the family because they are the ones who spend from their money. So that that's why they were trying to clamp down on it. They're saying you're going so overboard, we have to clamp down. And uh, this is in the Indo-Pak subcontinent because the influence of the Hindu culture. In the Arab world, in Egypt, and other places, when I was traveling, I was talking to the people, and they are 35, and they're hitting 40 in the late 30s, and they're working day and night, day and night, they're saving money for what? The opposite side is this one, that we cannot get married until we have some exorbitant high levels of, of mahar. That the father of the girl will not give his daughter until you, you know, you have $100,000 cash. $50,000 cash savings, 80000 equivalent for them. Like how difficult it would be for a person, average person to have $100,000 cash, but then he has, still has to keep money for his walima, and he has to keep money for his life and his, uh, his honeymoon or whatever other expenses. Just the one expense, one expense line item is uh, the Mahari's giving. It's like $100,000 cash. Not everyone can afford that, right? So people are struggling their entire youth, working hard day and night to be able to pay off this exorbitant high level of mahar. So the zulm is on the groom side over there. And the other side, the zulm is on the bride side. And the reality is there's no barakah here nor there because Rasulullah said, in a'zam al-nikahi barakah, the nikah that has the greatest amount of barakah is aysaruha ma'una, the nikah that has the least amount of expense. The least amount of expense. So... We say, oh, make dua for barakah, but then we are uh, doing such actions which will deprive us of the barakah. And the, normally, the more you pay, the more you get, right? You have the good, better, best. So you want, you want to get, go for the Cadillac, go for the higher option, go for the top of the line, you got to pay more. You get more bells and whistles, more features, more luxury. But this is very counterintuitive, the other way around. The less you pay, the more you get barakah. The less you pay, the more barakah. The more you pay, the less barakah. It should be a no-brainer. This is a Rabbana. We say, Rabbana atina. Dunya hasana wa fil akhri hasana. So you have more money for, and you have more, subhanAllah. Khayra dunya wal akhira. There was one brother who came and he said, look, can you believe this? I have a fully paid off condo. This is a while back, it's not recent. So, uh, and uh, like a $500,000 condo, fully paid off, beautiful, with like four bedrooms and nice big one. Uh, and um, I want to give the entire condo, with no mortgage, no rent, nothing, fully. I want to give the whole deed of this to my daughter who is getting married as a wedding gift. But forget about other women of society or can't believe the, you know, the, the in-laws or the outlaws. Can't believe the other side. Not my salis, not, my, not her khalas. But he says, my own sisters, poopies of this, the aunts of this girl, my daughter, my own sisters, 
are tell, saying, forget that, don't worry about that condo. Because part of the thing is he's saying, I will give this and I'll say, I'll just make a very simple rukhsati. I don't need, we don't need to waste so much money. That's part of the thing. I forgot. Yeah, that's the main thing he's saying. I will not want to, I don't believe in having extravagant weddings. Yeah, let the groom side do whatever walima they want, nor are they demanding it. Sometimes they would say that you better do it in this hall and you have to invite 1,000 people. They're not putting any demands. The groom side sometimes even dictates the menu of the, of the shadi. It better be this many items. You must have like four different types of chicken dishes and five different types of mutton dishes and six types of desserts. You have to have a whole dessert table. First it used to be two or three desserts, now it's a whole dessert table and you have, oh, subhanAllah, <laughs> dessert table. Yeah, I don't want to affect anyone's business here. But, uh, but um, what I'm trying to say is, uh, you know, live this, live jalebi station and live, uh, you know, uh, this one and that one. Anyway, so, they're dict- no one, they're not asking. So let's do a simple rusati, simple shadi, but guess what, I'm going to give you this. This is the deal. Sweeten the deal with, not with sweets, but with the whole condo. So he said, the, the, the answer is saying, say no. What are you going to, what, that's not, you're going to get that later anyway. That's what their point was. They're saying, forget about that. Just say that it's very, uh, you need to have a grand, memorable wedding. In, because you only get married once, hopefully. <laughs> Who knows? But there, uh, you, you only get married once. It, is, it needs to be grand. It needs to be memorable so that everyone in the family, I guess they want to party, they want to enjoy it. And they're, you know, <laughs> they want uh, him to pay for it, right? Astaghfirullahaladzim. So he's saying, what in the world's wrong with our culture, with our family, with the woman and our stuff that they are... I mean, I'm saying, forget about that, I'm going to give you this. You can live in there for as long as you want, and then you can rent it out, and it's a steady income. Right. So this is the culture. So may Allah Ta'ala protect us from that. So this is how the fatwa changes, based on... There was one, one brother, he came to me and he, uh, he showed me a recording here. Of Hazrat Mufti Taqir Osmani Sahib Hafizahullah, where he said that nobat yahan tak ponch gayi hai ke mit khayal karta hoon ke ye khatme bukhari ke jalsa pe pabandi hona chahiye ke ye ye bidat ki shakal ikhtiyar kar chukiye hai. That's what he said. He said the khatme bukhari jalsa has now reached a point where maybe it should be classified as a bidah. So he asked me, Oh my God, what's going on? You know, you're having a khatme bukhari jalsa. Is it a bidah? I said. Again, this is an example of the context. The context is who's speaking? Hadha Mufti Taqir Usmani Sahib. He is the greatest faqih of Pakistan and a muhaddith and uh, head of the Wifaqul Madaris al Arabiyah. All the Madaris of Pakistan, they have a union. He's the head of the entire thing. Right? So they have like one station where the exams are written and then they're sent out to all the Madaris of the country and they're all sealed on a particular day and a particular time. When everyone is in the exam hall, they break the seal, everyone takes the exam, then the examiner is sent to the center, they're graded. He's in charge of, the ex- there's a unified body of all the madaris. He's in charge of that, and he's in charge of so many Sharia councils and Islamic finance, etc., etc. So what happens is that he is getting invitations, how many? Not hundreds, from thousands of madaris, you know, to come and do the Khatam Bukhari. So he is overwhelmed with the invitations. You have to come to our madaris. You better, you better, you better come. They don't just send an email. They'll send like a, a, a whole group, not one or two, several individuals, the whole board of the madrasa will come with the invitation. 
that you have, please, you must come. And then when, they, when he's going all these places, they're throwing flowers, like real flowers, and this, and fireworks, and they're just going so overboard with so much lavish food, and this and that, and big posters with his name on it all over the place. You haven't even seen what, how it's like. It's just so extreme. So they're going so extravagant with it, they're going so extreme with it. Volume-wise, number is inca- he's incapable of, he doesn't have time to reject the, reject the invitations. And then what they're doing is so much. So he's saying, wait a second, you guys are going way overboard, let's just shut down the whole thing. I don't want any Bukhari Jalsas anymore. <laughs> so even his own Madrasa in Darulum Karachi, uh, any random time after a Salah in the Masjid, whoever is there without prior invitation, they do the last hadith of Bukhari and they make dua and they complete it. Because he's trying to simplify it. Over here, for example, I told that brother, we have the opposite scenario. Where, how many Khatul Bukharis in the whole country? Maybe two or three? Really? Yeah. Like three Khatul Bukharis in, like in the whole country. In the whole United States of America. From East Coast to West Coast. And then, uh, uh, this is an opportunity for people to come and make dua, to gain the barakah. Also, um, there's, there's no fireworks, right? Uh, happening here or anything of that nature. It's just the, the, the dua and then simple food, like Team Fajr. And uh, another thing is that there's so massive level of ignorance in Jahala about what is ilm and what is taught in the Alam program and what is the necessity of ilm and what is the legacy of this ilm. So this is an opportunity for general people to come and attend because they come for the niyyah, because they love Rasulullah So when there's a Khatun Bukhari, they'll say, wow, the Bukhari Sharif, there is a general level of understanding, wow, that's a book of hadith, or the greatest book of hadith, or if I come, I'll gain some barakah. And, at the, and they will gain the opportunity to benefit. So over here, you know, if you want to use the whole sliding scale, subjective fatwa, then it couldn't, I won't say it's farad, but it would be strongly recommended. It would be strongly recommended with this niyyah that the, you should have it so that people can, because our baseline is so low. Right? So this is an example of, that's why Ibn Abidin al-Shami rahimahullah in his book, Shara'a uh, Rasm al-Mufti, in which the principles of giving fatwa are mentioned, he says that, وَالْعُرْفُ فِي شَرْعِي لَهُ اعْتِبَارُ لِذَا عَلِيِّ الْحُكْمُ قَدْ يُدَارُ It's a poem, Uhud Rasm al-Mufti. So he says that, وَالْعُرْفُ the Urf means the conditions of the people uh, and the prevalent customs. Fi shari in the Sharia lahu atibaru. It has some consideration. Lida Ali al Hukmu Qad Yudaru. It's not always the ruling will be just based on the custom. Qad Yudaru means sometimes uh, the ruling can be affected by the conditions prevailing at the time. Uh, I just mentioned Qad Yudaru sometimes. Because uh, if you just open the floodgates and say that you can start tampering with the Sharia based on conditions, then uh, with uh, no restrictions, then we will be destroying the Sharia. So we have to follow Kitabullah, we have to follow Sunnah the Rasulullah, the Ijma of the Ummah. There are certain things you can't change. But there are certain r- rulings. There is some limited scope for Urf in giving fatwa. So anyway, going back to as the time is coming to an end, the ruling is, um, subhanAllah, we talked about the shalima, we talked about dividing it up, there is no division. Responsibilities upon the, the male. So when you, have, when you have a nikah happening, and if the person comes and says that, uh, we want to take the shahada, followed by the nikah. So if you ask the guy, 
Tell me something detail about Islam. He doesn't know. Tell me why you're accepting Islam. Give you a detailed discussion. He may not have much knowledge. Why he chose Islam? He's not able to answer the question. So, and uh, the thing is, you're not even keeping up a pretense by doing the shahada and a couple of weeks later having the nikah, a couple of months later. You're doing it one minute before. Like you waited till now, but it has nothing to do with the nikah. It has totally to do with your journey in finding Allah. But you ha- happen to do it with, you don't even have enough time to come take the shahada a couple of days before. You're doing it like how many minutes? Two, three minutes or one minute before the, before the nikah. Why are you delayed until now? You, you didn't find, you just got convinced about Allah the same day that you ended up getting married. Like how in the world did these two things happen? Is, there any, is it a coincidence? There's no correlation? No, con, no cause and effect? No. It's just like I just found Allah and I found my wife at the same day. So, in, so uh, what are you supposed to do? All circumstantial evidence indicates that this person put, may not be sincere. So nikah for the father of the girl or nikah for Allah? I mean, shahada. But what we do is we follow what this hadith says. We'll say, okay, you want to take the shahada? We'll take your statement at face value. And we leave the matter of your heart to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And we'll say, like Allah ta'ala said in the Quranic ayah about that person who's trying to save his life. He was killing Muslims and, and all of a sudden he said, no, I'm a mu'min now. Because there is maliki yawmiddin. There is a master of the day of judgment. He will judge. The, and this, is a, this example is interesting from so many different perspectives. That's how I'm supposed to act as, a, as the one performing nikah. But what about the girl herself? She's supposed to consider him a Muslim perhaps because he said so. But is she supposed to consider him the best Muslim to get married to? Perhaps not. Right? Because the one she's accepting as her husband will be the head of the family. What type of tarbiyah will he do for my children? What type of tarbiyah, you know? So she has, she's supposed to think about something else. I'm supposed to have my, I'm supposed to think on my side. Okay, you're willing to go ahead. Okay, if we'll do the shahada, we'll do the nikah at the same time. Same breath, two in one. Oh, that's how the sharima came to mind. Because two in one, two functions at the same time. So uh, I was wondering for a second, like, how did I get there? <laughs> so, so, so then we do, we, we, do, we, do the, we do the hybrid thing. And we leave it to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is uh, this 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 happens. Yesterday I went to some some uh, some masjid, random masjid. I don't well, don't don't look it up which place I went. Doesn't make a difference. I went to one masjid for Jummah because this is nothing to do with a bad fact about the masjid. I'm not attacking management or anything. In that case, I wouldn't identify it was yesterday. I went for Jummah someplace. There was a brother in the parking lot. So he said uh, he was an American brother. Um, and he came and he started asking me questions. So I said, are you Muslim? He said, yeah. When did you take shahada? Some time ago. Where did you take shahada? Uh, I took it at my home. Really? So he didn't have any witnesses. Then he started asking me questions about um, violence in Islam and about um, fighting, this and that. So outwardly, what does it seem like? It's an American brother. Uh, um, he looked Caucasian and he's asking me I asked him where did you take shahada which masjid he says uh, at home no witnesses for the shahada and then he started asking me yesterday about fighting in Islam and violence and this and terrorism 
So, you know what I'm trying to say? Right. So I was like, okay, no, 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 you know, we don't believe in violence and all that. I mean, alhamdulillah, that's common sense what to say, right? So all that stuff like that. But I'm thinking, so this is a scenario too. So if, can I with all certainty say, oh, this guy is a spy? This guy is a hypocrite, munafiq? I cannot say that. I'll say that. Do, but on the other side, are you going to be so naive and, you know, just give all your pins and passwords to anybody who says that, you know, I love you? No, you can't do that, right? Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam taught beautiful hadith Abu Hurairah radiallahu anhu. It's a rhyming hadith from Tirmidhi, right? Famous hadith. Ahbib habibaka haunamma asa'in yakuna baghidaka yawmamma wahbib habibaka haunamma no, ahbib habibaka haunamma asa'in yakuna baghidaka yawmamma wabghid baghidaka haunamma asa'in yakuna habibaka yawmamma which means that ahbib habibaka love your beloved haunamma with certain moderation. You never know, you never know, one day he may become your enemy, or he or she may become your enemy, yawmamma, one day. Yawman means a day, yawmamma, any day, any one day, one fine day, she may become your enemy. And likewise, if you have hatred from your enemy, let it be moderation. You never know, one day he may become your, your friend. So, and, uh, so I think we've kind of exhausted this whole concept. But there's one last point to it, as we conclude, is that when you're treating other people as, what did we say? We just look at the dhahar and leave their intention, Allah, Allah will judge. We shouldn't be strict on people. But who do we, we should still be strict on who? Ourselves. Yeah, we don't start giving excuses to ourselves. And say that, you know, it's okay. I'm mukhlis, I'm okay. No, rather, we, uh, all that desire of, of, uh, of, um, Finding faults and finding something wrong, we, we can keep that up. With who? With ourselves. And, and all of just going, taking the better opinion and saying that everything's fine, everything must be okay, that's with respect to others. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give you and me and all of us tawfiq to make amal. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, alhamdulillah rabbil alameen. Allahumma salli ala sayyidina Muhammadin wa ala ala sayyidina Muhammadin wa barik wa sallam. Allahumma barik ala Muhammadin wa ala ala Muhammadin wa barik wa sallam. اللهم اجعل اجتماعنا هذا اجتماعا مرحوما واجعل تفرغنا بعده تفرغا معصوما ولا تدع فينا ولا منا ولا معنا شقيا ولا محروما والله والله grant us ikhlas and sincerity in our iman ya rabbal alamin والله والله allow us والله uh, to be very strict with ourselves and very accommodating for others ya rabbal alamin never allow us to judge other people ya rabbal alamin والله والله let us continue to doubt about ourselves and be worried about our own islah and والله والله not pass judgments on others ya rabbal alamin Oh Allah, oh Allah, let us continue to find excuses for others and not find any excuse for ourselves, Ya Rabbul Alameen. Oh Allah, oh Allah, accept all these brothers who so early have come and are sitting with the desire to learn about your deen, Ya Rabbul Alameen. Oh Allah, grant them and their families and oh Allah, their loved ones, Barakah, Ya Rabbul Alameen. Subhana Rabbika Rabbil Izzati Amma Yusifun. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa